Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. On today's Chasing Tomorrow podcast, episode 10, by the way, I can't believe that we're already on episode 10. Uh, time's flown by. Joe and I started this a couple uh, months ago, and it just seems like it was yesterday that we got going. So if you guys are enjoying this, uh, share it, like it, uh, follow our podcast, and tell all your friends about it. And especially tell them about today's guest, because we have the absolute pleasure of having Gary Cantrell, who is also known as Lazarus Lake. I know everybody knows Lazarus Lake. Very few people know the name Gary Cantrell. And he's the most iconic race director in ultramarathon running history. Uh, being the race director of Barclay Marathons, Big's Backyard, Strolling Gym, and Vol State. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on with this guy. I mean, this guy can end up making runners like myself and many other ultramarathoners all over the world throw our buckets down into our well and, and, and digging up whatever's left in, within that well. We, we, we love going to his races and seeing what we, what we, what we can put out on his courses. And, and I can't wait to, to dig in a little bit deeper with uh, my friend Gary and finding out who is this guy and why, why he does what he does. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our, this week's guest, the diabolical Lazarus Lake. Welcome, Laz. I'm glad to be here. Ah, that's awesome. So, hey, so tell me, did you go for did you go for a hike today? Did you go for a walk in the woods? I only went out and did eight miles this morning. This is my short day. I'm on a schedule and I stick to it pretty close. Absolutely. And the reason why I ask is because you are partaking in in your own virtual race right now, right? You're you're partaking in the, the virtual run across Tennessee, and you've you've already you've already crossed Tennessee, but now you're doing the the thousand miles. Is that right? I am on my way back to the thousand mile mark. I, I convinced everyone that part of my job was to be a moving target for the runners. And I was just going to try to do the thousand kilometers. People were trying to, to beat me. Oh. So I keep having to step it up a little more because the people that are immediately around me start to bother me. They have bad intentions. You think so? Well, yeah, and I understand why they're trying to beat you, Laz, because number one, you're, you're an icon. Number two, um, wasn't it two years ago you, you walked all the way across, across America? Is that right? I did. I did. That was, that was a fun thing. Everyone should do it, but everyone should not wait until they're old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How many miles did you do for that run? was something over 3,300 miles. Wow. It doesn't sound like much, but it's really pretty far. <laughs> <laughs> turns, it actually does out. sound like a lot. And uh, <laughs> how many days did it take? It took me 126 days. That's why you don't wait till you're old, because it takes you a really long time, and it's that much harder than it would have been. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, Les, do you know how many people have, have crossed America on foot? don't know but i i want to say it's definitely in the hundreds it could be over a thousand by now it's i mean when you see the map and there's an ocean on one side and an ocean on the other it's like you're almost compelled absolutely absolutely <laughs> it, it yeah. cries out to be done no yeah. doubt no doubt is there a specific route that you did les i basically followed us 20 Okay. Um, there were a lot. Of, there were a lot of shortcuts. There was a lot of going around uh, around parts of it that couldn't be done on foot. Mm. I ended up um, traveling everything from open range to uh, interstate highways out west because you just you kind of have to piece together where you can go. Mm. Had some. Yeah had some real adventures getting through places where that if I didn't get, didn't get across, then it would be a 10 or 15 mile detour. And on foot, that's huge. Huge. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you bet. So let, let's back up a little bit Les, because I, I feel like I'm doing a bit of a disservice by, by not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that everybody, 
that you know that that, that clicks onto our, our podcast knows who you are. But let's let's talk about your two big races that you have you, you put on. Um, Gary, how long is has the Barkley Marathon's been going on? Is it is it thirty five years now? Um, I always count the first one as nineteen eighty five because that's when me and Raw Dog hiked the loop to to see if it could be done. Right, right. And so if anybody this is when other people came. Right. So you were the first finisher. I was the first finisher. The first year, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was the only one. Well, me and Gary Buffington that went with me were the only ones that did an absolutely correct first loop. Absolutely. So so let, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> Barkley Marathons and Big's Backyard because um, Strolling Jim, Volstate, all the other races that you put on. And, and I think that you know, I'm going to you know, kind of put them all together here in, in a little bit. But, you know, Barkley Marathons, you end up doing five loops and you have to go, you know, one way and then back the other and back this way. And, and each loop is, you know, roughly 25 miles or so. Uh, no, it's a 20 mile loop, 20.00. 20.00. But I've also been told that you kind of throw in some LAS credit as well, too. It's a, it might be a little bit further than that. Is that, is if that you're, true? If you're, in a, if you're inefficient, it's like any run. If you're, if you're <laughs> not on, not on uh, Tartan, you might add some extra miles of your own. Right. So you're saying that there's a tangent that you need to run, but it's almost impossible to run the tangent. <laughs> I can do Something it. Like that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you could. I'm sure you might be the only one, and or John Kelly, and and uh, and you know others. But but so yeah. So so Barkley Marathons is you, how many runners have completed the race in in in, in the race's history? There's fifteen fifteen unique individuals who have completed it eighteen times total. That's One guy did it twice, and and Jared Campbell has done it three times. He's yeah, he's a legend, <laughs> absolutely. And so this is, in my opinion, and I, I I run ultra endurance events, you know, for for fun. Uh, this is this is where I eat. Um, this race scares the hell out of me, and I don't want any part of it. <laughs> and so it, it it it's an intimidating event, absolutely to say the least. And so. You know, Gary, what you do is you you create events like this, um, Big's Backyard, where you have to run 4.18 miles around your literal backyard, um, and you because you've got a, a dog named Big Dog, and and you have to run around his backyard. Yes. Uh, 4.18 miles every hour until you can't, and there's one winner, and everybody else DNFs. Um, <laughs> you, you put it all together, you know, strolling Jim Volstead, all these other races, and Laz, what I see is that you're creating these these events that really pins athletes, runners, against themselves. Um, so, so tell us more about that. I mean, we, we see a commonality with all these races. You know, what, 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 why are you so, um, you know, so perfect at, at creating these, these, these races? I've seen other people trying to, but you're, you're, you're very unique. I don't know about perfect, but your, your objective is to give any, when you put on an event, you want to give the runners an opportunity to, to find the greatness that's in themselves. So really the key is to remember that your role, you're not important. The race is about the runners. And we've been lucky enough that really good runners have come and, and tried. And, and like in the Barkley, the list of people who haven't made it is really impressive. <laughs> Absolutely. And it should be enough for anyone with good sense to look at it and say, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. Absolutely. But every year people, you know, sign up. They, they want to desperately go and have their rear ends handed to them. Some of them want to, and some of them think they want to. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there's a lot of it because the time is so long and compared to the distance, People get it in their mind and it's just a really long, low-level effort. And what they don't grasp is the layout of the course. It's a really long effort right as close as you can keep the needle to the red line without having something blow up or catch fire. Mm. Right. You know, Gary, it strikes me that... Um, the I have a dog in forbidden territory. Little, get out of there! <laughs> 
<laughs> we have uh, this intersection between curiosity and courage that drives people to go do big things. Do you think that that's a bit of a good way of thinking about the people who want to come do a Barclays or a Big's Backyard? Well, like I say, a lot of them are, are ill-advised on the Barclays. The Big Backyard, though, that one, that one is more about what is your knowledge of yourself? Because... I originally kind of thought what would happen is people would run until they could run no more. But it, the 4.1667 miles in an hour is really not that hard to do. And, but if you do it long enough, it's not that pleasant to do anymore. And they, people quit when they no longer believe they can win. Because mm -hmm. one finisher, that's the winner. And once you decide that there's somebody out there you can't beat, then to continue to abuse yourself makes no sense. So it's a, it's a very introspective event. People spend a lot of time finding out what's inside. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I was at, I was at Big's backyard last year, last with you and, and, um, you know, everybody looked so good and then they would disappear, you know, and I, I wondered, you know, that guy looked so great. Where did he go? And, you know, it, it just seemed like everybody was doing so well. And then they, and then, and then they didn't believe that they could go on or things got, you know, like, like you said, it, it's easy until it's not right. You also can't show a sign of weakness because no. it's all about man against man. So where most ultras, you hear a lot of people talking about all the agonizing things they're going through. Their stomach is wrong. They've got blisters. Their feet hurt. Their knees are screwed. Their hips are coming out. Someone took their hips out and put them back in on the wrong side. Mm -hmm. But you don't hear any of that at, at the backyard altar because all you're hoping for is to look at that next guy and see some weakness to see, oh, he's hurt. He's hurt. So everyone is not hurting until suddenly they quit. And you say, what happened? You were, you were doing great. Mm -hmm. oh, I've, I've been dying for hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and it lies all, you know, just to give you a little bit of, you know, one, one of my, you know, games that I was playing with the other runners, I end up in third place, although there is no third place. It's a DNF where you win, isn't it? Um, yeah, but I ran, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. I, so I ran 52 hours in your, your yard last year and um, I had a waist light on and I had a waist light on very specifically because I didn't want to be seen that I was looking behind me and seeing where everybody was so they wouldn't wouldn't see my head turning around I was looking behind me all the bloody time and I didn't want them to know that and so I think that we were all playing games with one another out there it's uh, it's it's funny it's funny like that but you were you were saying one thing earlier about backyard and that you know you end up building this beautiful fire at night and when people would drop out during the night a lot of people drop out during the night because it's monotonous and, and boring on that road. Um, they would end up going over to the fire and standing there and look at the fire. And within five minutes, they would shake their head knowing that they, they had another one in them, that they were regretting dropping out. Could you, could you talk about that a little bit more? Uh, that's, uh, that's a lot of what happens. It's a lot of what happens at the Barkley, and it's a lot of what happens at Biggs. It feels so bad at the moment, but when the, when the pain stops, when, when you just have a little chance to rest, you realize, oh, I wasn't near the end at all. It, uh, it's, the matter of fact, the same phenomenon in Vol State, which is a self-supported run 500 kilometers across five states. And people, they're out there and they're, they hurt so bad and they've been gone so long and they call for a ride. Someone has to come and get them. And uh, you intentionally let them wait because a lot of times they get to a, they'll get them, they have to get themselves somewhere. You're not going to sit on the side of the road when it's 103 degrees and wait for, you know, two hour 12 for someone to come by. And they get in somewhere, get a little air conditioning, get for a while and they call you and say 
Ah, scratch the pickup. I think, <laughs> I think I'm going on. Yeah, no, that's good. We have, uh, we've let people sit for long periods of time because they get within 10 or 12 miles of the end and you're just, your mind is so shot and they, they're calling for a quit. You say, okay, we'll be there later. And you just leave them there. And then eventually <laughs> they call and say, well, I'm not going to sit here anymore. They're sitting on like on a, on a guardrail beside the road. So they say, I'm not going to sit on this guardrail anymore. I'm just going to start walking on and you can meet me, uh, you know, when you come to get me. And so you wait your timing until they're coming up the last hill with three miles to go. And you go out and say, do you want that ride? And, and well, I don't know what kind of audience you have, but you can imagine what the response usually is. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, not now. <laughs> ah, ah, so good. Well, you know, uh, one of the things I'm really curious about, uh, you know, Dave's certainly a professional ultra runner. I'm a, you know, a wannabe, have done a, my fair share of some good long distance. You've been looking at applications and runners for almost 35 years. Can you tell from the application who might be better at finishing or doing well at Barclays or learning something from that so you can pick the right people or is it hard? Learning, learning from it to pick the right people is, is, is good. There's an essay to get into the Barclay and, and it's not uh, something you just blow off. I, I look at the essays and you can pare it down pretty well by what they write. And before you ask the obvious question, what's in the winning essay? Now, if I told you that, then I would have all that essay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, no, I'm actually not looking for the, the secret as much as you have a, you, you ha I love when you get to see a lot of data in life because patterns form. And I'm just wondering if yes. you've seen good patterns and you'd almost predict, even though you select people, you could sort of tell before how well they'll do. It, uh, there's a whole set of characteristics and they, they're the same for people that are good at anything. Mm -hmm. And which is probably why the, the people that have done well in the Barkley are very successful people. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, there's a whole number of characteristics that go, that go into that. I think, uh, one of the ones I've been thinking about is, is accountability, looking at the 19,000 runners on the, uh, on the, on the, the race across Tennessee. And we have people that were, we, they just can't do the, the distance entry on a mm -hmm. regular basis. They just can't get their distance in every day. And they, they contact you because they get so far behind. Now there's some huge number they want to put in and you can't do that because all these people are out there putting in their mileages and everyone's really racing. Uh, you know, who's around you and you're watching what they're doing every day. And, and if there's, if they're stuck in New Zealand where they have to run before you every day, you can look and see what they put in the tracker. Mm -hmm. So you can beat them each time. And um, they'll say, they say, well, you know, I was doing really good until the last week or so. And, and you, you, but we have access to all the records and you look and you can see they did two weeks good and then they started missing and they missed more and more. And then it finally got so bad that now they can't get it to go in. And uh, I, I thought, do they not realize that I can see what's actually happened? And, and I realized, well, no, it's, it's about the way people see accountability. We all want our, we want our kids to be accountable. So as parents, we make them accountable to us. And then they're accountable to their teachers. They're accountable to their coach. They're accountable to their boss. But none of that helps you to, to succeed. What you want to be accountable to is your success, yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm my poor kids when they brought home their report card I told them that's your report card anything you do is a portrait of you that's not my report card you right. want to bring it you bring right. it in I'll sign it you can take it back 
because it's not my grades. Right. And they all did well. And and I think we where were these people are, you, you start thinking, if I get something that my mom will believe, or if I get something my boss will accept as an excuse, then it's okay. Mm. You shouldn't be making excuses to anybody but yourself. When you have an issue you add, the first thing you should ask is not who's to blame or why is this not my fault? It's what can I do to fix it? What can I do to make it right? What can I do to make it not happen again? It's not the, the truth, Laz, is that out there on the course in either a Barclay or Vol State or, or Biggs backyard, you know, you, you're, you're presented with a lot of opportunity to, you know, to fix things on the fly and hold yourself accountable for whatever actions were taking place, running a lap too quickly or, or whatever that was. So do you find that it's, it's those people that take accountability like guys like Will Hayward last year at Biggs, who you just, you didn't see him doing, I didn't think he was going to do well at all. Because um, he, he, like he looked like a train wreck from the beginning. But we the guy ended up, off at 24 hours. He's the next guy out. I did. No. I did. Absolutely. And he ended up running 59 hours and gave Maggie the assist. That's, it's incredible. And so, so, so you think a lot of it's, you know, really accountability and holding yourself personally accountable. It's who you think you're accountable to. If, if you're out there and you're, and you're dying and you think, if I tell them that my hip is gone, that'll be a reason I stopped. Well, you, you've halfway lost right there. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You're not accountable to anybody. Right. You're only accountable to show. So you ask yourself, can I make this hip go? Can I make this hip go one more lap? Is there something I can do to fix it? Can I alter my stride where there's a little less stress without breaking something else down? Right. Absolutely. And <laughs> it's actually liberating. <laughs> Yeah, to think no, that way. I think it is. Uh, certainly, you know, when Dave and I constructed this podcast, part of what, you know, we were looking for is this idea that if you understand some people, they go from what would seem to be ordinary to extraordinary. And because we're all sort of ordinary in our own way, it's the actions we take, it's this accountability that allows us to be extraordinary. But most people don't really fully understand the why they're doing it, or they use words like I'm stubborn, um, or, you know, <laughs> I, I don't like to quit. But you're sort of redefining it, which is that you're taking responsibility for your own actions, and you then can determine sort of where that brings you in life. And so I guess where I would take that is, when you started off as a race director and you concocted these pretty amazing challenges, you know, did you ever sort of think about that this was one you were going to find out is these kinds of life lessons versus a, <laughs> an athletic event? Um, when you set them up to challenge you, you look from all the years in coaching, when you're preparing your teams to play, you have all of the, the physical stuff, the drills and the skills and the, the mental part with the teamwork and stuff, but you also look for ways in practice to subject them to stress, to the different things that cause you to fail so that you can help them to master the techniques for dealing with these issues or, or simply to get where that they can handle it uncertainty is the hardest thing for an athlete to handle. It's one of the things that I'm sure Dave will tell you, one thing that makes the big so hard is not knowing when it'll end. It'll end at, uh, I think the longest one was 68 hours. And I looked at the field of runners who were there and I felt absolutely positive. If we had told them going in, it was 72 hours. There was a minimum of five people that would have made it. But to go another loop when that could be the loop that wins or you could run another 15 hours and still be right where you are, that's not, that's not easy to take. That's not easy to when take. You're, when you're coaching basketball, it's officials. The officials are, are something you can't control. You can't. 
actually, I guess I can say now, you can you can prepare yourself and play in such a way that you reduce the number of fouls you get, but you don't ever have control. When the whistle blows, it could be absolutely right. It could be absolutely wrong. And that's one of the hardest things basketball players have to learn how to deal with is, is the officiating. You see players that just can't deal with that. The Barkley is all about uncertainty. You don't know where the course is. You don't know when the race starts. You don't know, you don't know what order the clockwise and counterclockwise loops are coming. And of course, these are big time planners. And they have to start planning an hour before the race. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's so let's talk about whistles for a second. Because I remember, you know, I, 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 we flew you up to, to Canada. And he helped uh, race direct uh, a race that we had up up in Alberta, uh, a big uh, a backyard race, the Overrun backyard race. And I remember you told me when you, you know, when you arrived here, you said, you know, the hardest part of the backyard race is the six feet between the your chair and the start line. You know, you 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 run twenty hours, forty hours, whatever it is, and you sit down, you take in that comfort. Um, and it's it's hard to get up and and go and do another one. Now it's as well too. And you, one thing you know to allude you know, to 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 add to that, one thing you did bring up, Laz, as well too. He said you know with a three minute warning, you blow three whistles, two minute warning, two whistles, one minute warning, one whistle, and you really kind of enjoy blowing that whistle and looking around and seeing who just kind of kind of cowers, <laughs> who, who shudders a little bit, right? Because you know uh, what you told me there was that everybody responds to stress. You know, and, and that stimulus differently. Some people are eager to get out and back on the course, and other ones they just they shudder. Uh, tell us more about that, and then some of your experiences when it when it comes to that. Uh, the very first backyard ultra we held was when we first started finding out about the whistle. Dave may not tell you this, but he probably still has an adverse reaction when he hears a whistle. <laughs> 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 uh, post-traumatic post whistle disorder it's uh <laughs> we're gonna have to work on that one well we we got the fourth hour you know you start out and you blow the whistles everybody lines up it's a big joke they start you do it again the same and the time and it was only four hours in and I blew the three whistles and everyone's sitting there in their chairs and this like moan comes up like oh <laughs> the whistles come way too fast if you're waiting to blow the whistle it's all you can do to keep your attention on the watch long mm -hmm. enough to blow it at the right time but for the runners in the chair the time between getting back and the three whistles seems like a minute Mm -hmm. And between three and two seems like 15 seconds. <laughs> For them, the whistles are coming way too soon. Absolutely. So they hate it. They, they discuss doing things to your whistle out on the course. <laughs> I'm probably not supposed to know this, but I know this. Did I not also tell you the whistle has to have a lanyard? You have to keep it around your neck. You want to put it in your shirt so someone can't grab it from you. Huh? <laughs> or hang it with you. Never set it, it down. You'll never see it again. That's right. You know, it, it's fascinating um, because, in some sense, you've you know, gone beyond race director into psychologist and you have uh, really started to study how people think, react. You know, they're the guys who do this. Uh, alongside you are the Navy SEALs, you know, they, they love to put you in a situation that you think is unfair. And so they'll go in your room and mess all your clothes up and say, why'd you leave a mess? And you know, you didn't, and you just have to clean it up. They're just looking for how you react, which is part of what you're doing with this group of highly talented athletes. You know, how do you react to these stresses? And that is more important, right, than the physical piece of it. It, um, that's, that's, I've always been interested in what 
you know, don't you look when you see people are equally matched. Why does one win and one not? And uh, then as a coach, you're looking at what are the things you can do to make your team better prepared to win? And uh, it, talking about things that are unfair, one of the things you do in practice, you set up unfair contests. You put, put kids love when you have contests in practice. But sometimes you set them up where the, they can't win. And uh, what you're looking for is to develop the point where that they throw that factor away. They compete the best they can without blinking, even knowing they can't win. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, it certainly feels like you can carry away from these experiences, something that would help you in life in general, um, you know, <laughs> right? Work, family, dealing with a pandemic, um, <clears throat> learning <clears throat> that maybe you can't control everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They always say that the lessons of sports are the lessons of life. And I really believe that that was, um, you know, you, you, coaching a small high school and the coaches that I worked with over the years, it was always the same. You were preparing the kids for life. I mean, mm -hmm. games are exciting. The games are fun. You want to win. You don't, I mean, don't even pretend for a second. Don't love the competition and love to win. But at the end of the day, the kids come in as, as freshmen, they're 13 or 14 years old. They're just kids. And when they leave, they're 18 and 19 and they're, young men and you you like to look at the guy leaving and saying he's equipped for the things he's going to deal with mm -hmm. yeah pretty absolutely amazing. well so let's let, let's talk a little bit about 2020 i mean you know life is very different um you know you the two you're in in, in america I'm, I'm up here in canada but really this is a global pandemic uh that we're in right now and everybody's adapting and uh, a community leader like yourself, Laz, um, you, what you've done is you've done an incredible job of creating opportunities for people to go out and, and test their endurance and test what they're made of, what's great about backyard is, you know, three laps might be your, your personal best, but you can go do four the next time. Um, but, you know, what's, what's wonderful about, you know, watching you in this, in this time is um, you ended up creating this, this virtual run across Tennessee. And, you know, I think you were saying, Laz, off, off, offline that, you know, this run was really developed for an audience of maybe 200, 300 people. And, and I think it's over 20,000 people now, that, including myself. It's um, like 19,500 I think, 19,500 and some people. Wow. That's incredible. And unreal. Oh, and when I go on to the Facebook group that you've created with this, this virtual run across Tennessee, um, I see an incredible group of people that are posting on there every, like, I don't even know how many bloody posts there are. It's incredible. Uh, people that are like looking for community so that people can get out every single day. And I think that if you end up running the minimum in order to get across Tennessee, I think it's, it's right around five miles a day, isn't it? Is, is that right? Yeah, it's, it was, I want to say 5.2, 5.3, somewhere in there. It was, it was not, it's not a hugely demanding thing for a, for someone that runs uh, for, or that runs a lot or has run competitively. But for the majority of the people that signed up, I, I was amazed at who all we got. They're just regular people. And this was a lot of them. It was beyond their scope at the beginning. So seeing who the audience was, I've been doing my coaching tips as they went along early on. I told them, I just, I happened to have a convenient four month period where I went from nothing and covered a thousand kilometers, even though for the first two months, I never, never did over. I never made the average. I was losing distance the whole way and talked about how, while you're getting in shape, you can give ground. This is, you know, you have to go out every day. So you don't give zeros, you give away too much, but if you're getting some day, you can stay in there. And, the the way people have responded to it, I think they were just looking for an opportunity. I think most people are there's there's a little greatness in everybody, and 
they're just looking for the opportunity for it to come out. Absolutely. And, and people like yourself to create that, that, that stage for them. I, I, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. I see so many people that are, that are blowing away their, their expectations of like, I, I'm getting out every day and I'm doing 10 miles and it's, it's really quite neat. Um, it's really quite a cool thing that you started. Yeah. yeah but they did all the work. Ah, they did do all the work. Absolutely. Yeah. You bring, you, bring uh, a good, you bring such a good attitude, Gary, to everything that you do. Um, in the, in our sport of ultra running, you have built a brand for yourself. Um, you're well known pretty much by everyone, but you haven't, uh, and this might be one of those, I'd love to hear the truth here is you've never sort of sold out to the, you know, the big, uh, name, you know, sponsors or brought in too many people into the races, commercialized it too much. You've, you've stayed true to what you started it. Tell us a little bit about that. Is that hard to do? Are you happy to stay the way you are? Should, will it change? Well, look at me. What corporation would... would... <laughs> does, does this look like the image you want to portray? I don't know. <laughs> I, th I think so. We like it. I, I enjoy, you know, the objective is, is what I'm getting out of it. And... It's like this, the, the, the run across Tennessee has been maybe the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Well, definitely the most rewarding because of the number of people that have really gotten something out of it. Mm -hmm. And they write letters when they, when they finish and I send an email, the finish email out and they'll, they'll respond back and talk about what's going on or, or a, how the race was for them and the, and the things that they got out of it. It's really, it's been a positive thing. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the, the Facebook group, it doesn't require what it did, but at first it wanted to be like every Facebook group. And we simply just didn't allow it. We removed it and we, we lost some people because there's no politics in there and there's no, None of this and none of that. Learned a lot about people. Developed a great respect for anyone who deals with social media for a living, especially if they're moderating something. Yeah. You know, you lose the people that that's what they're in there for. Right. And and well, wait. You hate losing people, but was it wasn't really a loss. They just want to get on to trash people and talk negative, or they want to get on for fruitless, pointless, political, you can't say discussion since everybody yells the same thing. They yell the same thing every time, everywhere, and nobody listens. So it's, <laughs> it's just pointless. It just trashes up the space. Mm -hmm. And the people that gravitated to it, hey, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a free place. It's a place where none of that exists. We're not going to talk about all these things. We'll just talk about run, trying to run 500 or a thousand years and trying to get through the days and taking care of our blisters and mm -hmm. how do we work it into our schedule. And, and Yeah. And I remember, I remember last, a couple of years ago, we were talking about, um, you know, the entry into Big's backyard. And I think I ended up telling you, I said, you know, you know, all these other races are charging free for seven times the amount that you are. And you could easily charge that amount and people will still be, still be flocking to come to your race. And I remember you told me, you said, well, Dave, it's, it's a fair market value for what I'm, what I'm offering. And <laughs> I, I always remember that because it, it was, it's just so true. Um, you know, you know, it's, it's wonderful, but it's, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're, 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 you're providing, um, you know, that value. And it's, 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 it's so nice to see in a world where everybody's trying to, trying to, to make a, a, a buck and, you know, you're, 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 you're creating, you're, 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 you're harvesting all these uh, experiences not in, and, and creating all these opportunities. It's really nice to see. It's, it's the fun part. The, uh, the other, so the one across Tennessee, we, probably and they would kill me for saying it but as the closer we get to the end i think we're going to be able to raise a quarter million dollars for the food banks that's wonderful wow and we've Congrats. definitely got over twenty five thousand dollars for animal shelters i don't know we 
because of the demand for souvenir stuff and the insistence of people that I'm an idiot if I just let people freelance and sell souvenirs and don't have a license fee, we set up some approved uh, souvenir stores that sell pro race products and charge them a license fee and just sent the entirety of the license fee is going to uh, a charity. It's one for child slavery in India uh, because right. Naresh is one of our workers and that's a cause that's dear to him. Probably should have checked to make sure that it's against child slavery and not for it. <laughs> that's probably uh, a good idea that's that's great lads absolutely <laughs> no it's good I, I i love to see that you're uh and it's it's no surprise to any one of our listeners that you're that you're doing good with uh with all of this this is this is great but let's let's jump a little bit ahead to um hey we're in a pandemic um you know i've i've got a i've got a i've got a race bib at your race in october um, but you know, I, I, I just don't think that, um, that big's backyard is going to be happening this year. I, number one in Canada, I don't think that I'm allowed to travel down to the United States. And once I'm in, in the States, I don't think I'm allowed to travel back to Canada, uh, come October. So, so, you know, you and I have been talking offline for, for a couple of weeks now about, about some ideas in regards to, to big's backyard. Do you want to, do you want to talk about, uh, big's, big's backyard a little bit? I, I think we have a pretty exciting plan. It's not not quite a virtual event although it has that aspect to it we're putting up putting together satellite events and then really the events are competing against each other there's um there's about a dozen countries and you don't know there's a, there's another one or two that might try to get in of course any of the ones that are in the way things are right now they could they could have a flare up and disappear the day before the race. We're going to try to do it over the internet like y'all have mastered with, with your races and keep a single scorecard, but each race is also an independent entity. You'll have a real race with everybody there head to head and a winner. But they're also scoring simultaneously, so in the Canadian race will be essentially a Canadian team. And the U.S. race will be a U.S. team. And somebody's team is going to win. Somebody's team will be the last team standing. But it takes two to be the last team standing. So the assist guy, who always gets full credit, because everybody's a DNF but the winner. But the assist guy is the only reason the winner got as far as he got. He could not have done it. In all competition, you can never be but as good as your opponent's and, and we legislate that in, uh, in the backyard. So it's really going to be down. It, it's going to take two Canadians. You had to have the greatest guy in the world capable of going 100 hours. But if all the other Canadians stop at 23, which I've heard is likely. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll, I'll I'll take that challenge. Yeah. So so last, you know, so what I've been doing up here in Canada, and I, I don't mind telling our audience. So I'm captaining the team up up in Canada. We're going to be running it out from Alberta, and we're going to be racing against your team and and you know, down in Bell Buckle, Tennessee, and and others all around the world. And we've got a pretty stacked team up here in Canada, and mm -hmm. I've been calling around to all of Canada's best ultra marathoners, and eighty percent of them are saying, "Hey, I'm in." Uh, where do I sign up? And so and I've been telling them, you know, it takes two to go long. I think and I'm going to so, have to figure out who to root two. for. I'm well, absolutely root for the Americans or my Canadian friend here. I don't know. It's going to be a little bit difficult. Well, that's going to be what's wonderful. Let's say there's three or four countries left in the game. And, and you know, let's say I'm it's going to be myself in Canada and another um, individual who's running. I'm going to be looking over to that other person saying, you know what? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta go hard together. We gotta go long because we gotta beat the Norwegians, or we gotta beat the New Zealand team, or you know what? We gotta beat America. It's gonna be tough to take America down, though. I gotta say, I, the Swedes are scary. The Swedes, the Swedes have got, and the German, the Germans have got a good team, and you never can underestimate the Germans. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you can, the French, you can't trust the French. You know, <laughs> That's they, right. Hey. 
<laughs> they haven't had a lot of backyards, but they've put up some big numbers in the ones they have. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I'll be honest with you, Laz, you know, when it comes to the backyard that we're having here, probably half the runners have no backyard experience, but they've got big 200 mile experience plus. And so it's, we're going to, there's a couple tough, tough noodles that we're going to be bringing out to our event that I could see going super, super long on, on a backyard style event yeah. when they're motivated. It's, it's all adjusting to having to start every hour. It, right. It's having to deliberately start the inflicting the pain. There's, there's something that makes it just easier if you just start once and then you just finish it. But you have to finish it and do it again and do it again and do it again. Every hour you got to get out of that chair and walk to the starting line. Right, right. And that's where they, we're going to, you know, we looked at the driveway and how the gravel, gravel kind of humps up at the side from all the years of cars going on. We decided, Maybe that mound is a lot bigger than it looks because it appears it's only a, an inch or two tall, but people are having a hard time getting across it to start. So we're going to try to rake that thing down flat. See ah, that's great. You're making your course easier so other <laughs> runners have to run further. I love it. This is I good. Love it. This so is what's, good. A, Liz, what's the date of, uh, of Big's Backyard uh, Pandemic? I, so is it called Big's Backyard Pand Pandemic Edition? Yeah, well... Probably probably needs a name like that. Yeah. I just was calling a Big's Backyard Ultra. Yeah, perfect. We don't want him to know that all those people aren't going to come for him to watch. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And so October still. October seventeenth, same day. We'll move the starting time back to seven o'clock to make it simpler, so that everyone all over the world is starting on an even hour. Although only a few of us will be, maybe only this will be seven o'clock. And then we'll, that way we'll switch from doing 12 on road trail and 12 on road to 12, 11 on trail and 13 on road because the last hour would get pitch black and all the Americans would be lost in the woods. It gets dark on your course. You bet. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And so, and, and as well too, Laz, you know, one, you know, one thing I, I want to mention is that, you know, you, you, you bring you brought it up to us because I'm a race director or a race director, but race organizer with with Catholic Virtual up here in Canada. We end up putting on the last two quarantine backyards, um, and we broadcasted them. And the last broadcast I think went really quite well. And so we're hoping to to broadcast all of this and be able to 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 put it online so that people could end up watching and see a broadcast where we go off to Germany and we go off to France. We we do all of those things so we can end up making it a lot more. Um, you know, pleasing for the audience, and so they, they can keep up with the, the updates and, and on and so forth in real time. I think, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting thing to watch because you've got, you know, the the different countries competing against each other in a uh, a form of a world championship. It'll be, it'll be, I guess, the runners will also count for their own nationality. I think. Looking at the people we have, we'll probably have a Belarusian in, in the American contingent. Mm -hmm. He'll be part of the American team, but if he ended up winning the whole thing, then I guess it would be a victory for Belarus as an individual. Absolutely. And, uh, I know Ireland's got a team, but I don't think England's going to be able to pull one off. So there will probably be some of the good English runners in Ireland. You got it. If they, if they make the cut, the Irish are another group that's got some pretty tough guts. So again, you know, Laz, you know, uh, you know, we talk about Barclay, we talk about, you know, Big's Backyard, Vol State, we think of all these unique ways that you're going out and creating all these opportunities for this community of runners to go in and, 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 and push themselves to new endurance feats. And, and again, you know, during this time of quarantine all over the world. Uh, here you are doing it again and you know you're thinking well we can't gather we can't it's irresponsible for me to in Canada to fly down to Tennessee and bring whatever I'm bringing down to you or you give me and bring all I'll bring back to my my country you know it's it's good for us all to kind of stay put at, at this time so here you are again going out and 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 uh, being a community leader and creating these opportunities for everybody to 
to go and do this um, in in a in a safe way. I I, I think it's I, I'm really super stoked about uh, about this opportunity. Yeah. When you when you go through life with limited ability, you become a master at running into an obstacle and then finding a way around it. <laughs> it's a combination of not being very good but being stubborn. Yeah. Right. Well. I think that, you know, uh, we all benefit when, you know, people who start off with, with sort of that humble, you know, heart become leaders. Um, what happens is we get good outcomes for all who participate because it's not about you, then it's about them. And it, that's a transition that we think we need more to have happen in this world, you know, which is that we're in service to others rather than to, you know, ourselves. And then we can create these magical experiences. And, you know, uh, I like to think that we don't need to ask for permission to live a big life. And you didn't ask anyone for permission to go put on these races. You just decided. And uh, we thank you for that. Um, you know, that's just maybe one towards the end of us. The last question is like, before we get into what's tomorrow for you, did you ever sort of envision this for yourself? I mean, does this organically happen? And how did it, you know, how'd you get here? Like, my my athletic career is is a, um, I think it's a lesson for every. I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma, and was around the football team all the time. Love football. Family of football fans. I wanted to be a football, a great football player more than anything in the world. And my sophomore year of high school, I realized that five feet tall and seven pounds and not fast. Football opportunities were limited. And uh, I mean, I looked for any sport I could be in. I wanted to be in some sport. I had a sports-oriented family. But even wrestling the lightest weight division, I was 20 pounds too light. And, and that's <laughs> huge. So the only choice was really running. I mean, that was for someone my size. So that said, I wanted to be a great runner. And I was not fast. I went to longer and longer distances trying to find the place I would be great. I finally got to the point I wanted to, to run an ultra, which eventually I found out I was also not great at. <laughs> and in, in the only way to have one, though, at that time, this was in the 70s, there wasn't an ultra within a thousand miles of me. So the only way to have one was to put one on. Yep. And I found that I had more success putting on races than I did as a, as a runner. And so you just you keep it in the wall and, and find a, a new route. And uh, you, you always get what you need, but you don't always get what you want. If I'd been any of the things I wanted to be along the way, my career would have been over for decades. And mm -hmm. now I, I ended up with something that my age and physical handicaps don't make any difference at all. So, I really, all of my bad luck was good luck. You just, you just have to take what's available to you and make the most of it. Well, you've certainly done that, that's for sure. And we're all, uh, we all benefit from that. That's the other really amazing part of the choices and the path when you ended up feeling great about what you did and then created great opportunity for many others to find sort of their own version of greatness uh, in their lives. Um, and I don't know, though, if, uh, if someone came, if they came up to me today and said, you know, you could give all this up and instead be remembered as greatest linebacker in Oklahoma football history, oh, that would be hard. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Once a football fan or once a football player, always a football player, right? Fair enough. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, Laz, when it comes to, you know, our Chasing Tomorrow podcast, um, we, we typically end up our, our, our you know, our, our interviews, you know, asking, um, 
our guests, you know, what's next? You know, what, what's tomorrow for, for you? Um, and, you know, you know, Laz, before I get into that question, you know, the two things I think that make you extraordinarily unique, you're, you are the, in my opinion, you're, 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 the, you're, the, you're the most iconic race director in, in, in the world's history. Um, because you end up, you know, you, you've end, you, you didn't just follow, you know, the, the half marathon and the marathon, you know, playbook. You end up going and creating these opportunities for people to go find their own excellence. And, and that in it, in, in, unto itself is, is just so unique. Um, and I think that you've done it with, you know, number one, curiosity. But as well, too, intelligence. Um, you, you just, you, you, you find a way to, to go and unlock those, those boxes. So, you know, just have, having said that, you know, what's, what's next for you? Like, what's next or what's, what's, what's in the stores, what's in the cards next for tomorrow for, for Lazarus Lake? Well, I'm, I'm getting to do something that I've had rolling around in the back of my head for a long time and I've tried to talk people into it in the past and they hadn't been interested but after the way the race across Tennessee went I've got the the support from people who are competent to do things which is which is not me I mean I wouldn't even be on this podcast if it required on my skill (laughs) Um, we're gonna we're gonna put on a run around the world on land and you think about the world the way that we always think about it, the equator is the middle of the earth and it's virtually all water. I mean, there's a, the, a thin part of Africa and a thin part of, of South America and maybe you hit a few small islands in the South Pacific. But I, got, I was, I think while I, while I do my runs and it's, probably a bad thing for the world and I thought (laughs) promise the way we look at directions we think of you know east and west and north and south they taught you in the school they're the same they're the four directions right but they're not if you go east or west if you go east you'll go east forever even when you pass where you started no matter how many times you start as long as you go that way it's east but if you go north you only go so far and then you're going south and the same thing on the other end. We perceptually have given the world a top and a bottom. Try to even picture the globe any other way. We don't realize it's, it's like the top doesn't exist. We think of the world like it's a, it's a tube and not a sphere. So I thought, you know, if you turn the globe on its side and have an east pole and a west pole, and you go north and south goes one direction all the way around you know what you have 80 a, a way to go around the world 80 percent landmass mm-hmm. the length of north america the length of south america across antarctica right there on the other side of antarctica is tasmania australia all of the indonesian islands in a row and then up through southeast asia and across india up through the the stands, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, all the stands, uh, across Russia, Eastern Europe, and into the tip of Norway. And you know what's right on the other side of the North Pole from the tip of Norway, not far at all? The top of Alaska. Mm -hmm. So we've laid out a route. We've done like we did across Tennessee. We've got it all. We've broken the, the, the world up into 12 continents or half continents so that it'd be an amount it'll take relay teams to do this but it's twenty nine thousand miles on land on roads that exist except for the one we built across antarctica and uh which is and so it's a chance for people they put their team together and they make their way slowly down across the continents and all the way around the world and as you go you look at where you are it's something I started doing a long time ago as, as kind of a training tool. Virtual runs I did before there was any thought of COVID. I would lay out routes and put them on a spreadsheet in all the cities. And then as I added up my training mileage, see where I got, because then you're motivated. Every time you hit a city, you're motivated to get the miles in and get to the next one. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did the transcon I did done as a as a training transcon long before 
I recognize places off the maps that, oh, hey, now I'm here in real life. So it's something I, I think it's fun. I think people would think it's fun. So it's not really a race like the even the one across Tennessee for four months, people have been hammering themselves, but something where you do as part of your daily routine, it's almost like something that exists under the, under the surface. It's the second thing you're doing, your, your secret life, your, your fantasy world. Yeah. Don't, don't you have a fantasy world that you live in too? Yeah. Uh, and in uh, your fantasy world, you go all the way around the planet and as they go, all of the places will come together. You, how, the, how it's all put together. The people that do this would come out like, in, well, I don't know about Canada. In America, they'd be in the top 1% of ge geographical knowledge. Mm -hmm. just, Absolutely. Just because they know what country connects to the next. Yeah. Right. That's brilliant. It's, um, you know, it, it's an opportunity for, for people to, like you said, you know, on the, on the back end of what they're doing, um, you know, they're typically going out for morning runs and getting done that race at the, you know, the local marathon or whatever that is, but they keep plugging away and who knows, it might even take a decade for people yeah. to, to, to run the, what is it, 29,000 miles. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, that, I, that, oh, for a person by themselves would take forever, but a figure a 10 man relay team could do it in 12 to 16 months, which is why we're starting four months before the end of the year. Mm. And wow. in theory, they have till the end of 2021. Although, yeah. if one are winding it down, then we're going to make them a little medal for each of their regions. So each region you complete with your team, every team member gets the medal, and the medals are in the shape of the continent or or region that you crossed. And we'll make a nice little uh, frame, puzzle frame. And they'll fit in there like puzzle pieces to to complete your globe with with your trip trip around. That is so. The unique. hard part we're having right now is is making a globe laying on its side. Absolutely. Because start trying to look for anything that allows you to see the world as an actual globe. Even the globes that you can buy to put on your desk. What do they got on top? A big cap. And a, and a hook and then the bottom's got a hook in it, and it's underneath mm -hmm. yeah we're maybe it's because of the magnetic poles maybe it's because it was territory that you really couldn't cross mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but everything we've done is exists as if the top of the world doesn't exist it doesn't connect i love it just if look someone asked you if someone asks you what was the closest next land body to uh, the tip of Point Barrow, what would you say? Would you say Norway? Mm, no, <laughs> right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Fascinating. Yeah, just wow. have to turn your head and, and look at it, look at it differently, right? Yeah. So you know, my head's been turned. Absolutely. <laughs> for a while. Oh yeah, and yeah, and that's it. Your head's been turned for a while, and this is exactly why you know why you're you're such a great community leader and and, and have, have been for 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 decades now uh providing opportunities for for the running community to go find their their own excellence and you know what's wonderful about the chasing tomorrow podcast is that you know and, and, and our final question is is what's tomorrow for you and you're not done you're you're going out and creating all these opportunities for us we want to thank you Laz, for for joining us today and uh yeah let's not be strangers and let's uh, let's do this again here soon well, I'll be uh, I'll be watching you beat yourself to a pulp on the internet. Hopefully, in a couple months. Absolutely, can't wait. <laughs> exactly. Can't wait. Gary, thank you so much for your time. I know everyone will love listening to this, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. And we're out here supporting you all the time. Well, I appreciate it, but you know, in the end, I'm. If this had all happened to me when I was younger, I would be an insufferable ass. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm old enough to realize that I'm still actually just an old hillbilly that lives in the woods. Well, <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take you it. Bet. All right. And around you. here, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting an old hillbilly that lives in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Gary. This has been wonderful. We really appreciate your time today.
Thanks very much. Yeah, I appreciate you talking to me. Y'all have a good one. All right. See you, Gary. Thanks a lot, Gary. Well, Dave, oh my God, Laz is next level. A hillbilly from Tennessee? I'm not sure I buy that. He's as good a strategist or people expert as anyone from Harvard. That man just knows how to motivate people and get the best out of themselves. His insights are truly spot on. I really like his view of accountability and how that makes for great competitors. And we both know that we could always use someone diabolical in our lives and Laz always delivers on that. And with his new race announcements, uh, I think we have something really big brewing in the sport of ultra running. We're definitely going to have to get him back on the show after the global virtual backyard pandemic edition. Oh, man. Wow. Well, episode 10 is officially in the books. And next up is the two of us again. We're going to dig in a little bit into some of what we've been learning from our amazing guests over these past 10 episodes. And we might even tell a story or two. Should be fun. I know I'm going to enjoy it. So that's a wrap for this week. As always, a big shout out to our sponsor, Performance Tea. You can find them on www.performancetea.com. And they've given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20, that's the number 20, to get the discount. And if you have a topic or a guest you'd like to see on the show, email us your ideas at info at chasingtomorrowpodcast.com. And a huge thanks to our listeners for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much. <laughs>